0: Welcome back to the Georgia 2024 show. I'm here with my co-host, Bill Quinn. Welcome, Bill. Good evening. So again, full show today. We're going to have fine. We're going to play the second part of the James Lindsay speech later on. First, we're going to have a quick update, not a quick update. We're going to have an update from Israel on what's happening over there. I mean, this is a very uh, complicated issue, and we're going to talk about that in depth. And we're going to play a quick interview that I did with, um, Josh Klein, and, and we're going to basically tell you what's happening in that part of the world and raise some questions as to what might not or be happening as far as why this event happened and, and where we're going, because Georgians have a lot of men and women in the military, and this is going to impact us. In fact, today, it's it's they're talking about putting U.S. troops as peacekeepers in Gaza once Hamas is destroyed, in air quotes. So, Obviously, that's going to be a very dangerous situation for our young men and women, and we want to prevent that at all costs. We're brought to you by the Georgia Record, georgiarecord.com. Please sign up for our newsletters. Please sign up for our no ad subscriptions. Please sign up for our Rumble channel. Subscribe CDM One and the podcast for the Georgia Record. Listen to it on the way to work, on the way to church, whatever. And uh, but spread the show. Tell your friends and neighbors. One of the things you can do to protect yourself as this world spins out of control, in addition to food security, we like to talk about economic security. And one way to do that is to talk to a good advisor. If you have a portfolio, how is it structured? Are, are you in the right asset classes? You're, ha- you're seeing a, a destruction of asset classes across the board. Uh bounced a little bit today, but bonds are under pressure. Stocks are under pressure. Uh, other things are moving like crypto, land, real estate. Uh, There may be opportunities there. Where where do you put your money? So we have a great financial advisor supporting the show, David Cross, and I'm going to run a quick ad from him.
1: I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com
0: and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Bill, you got anything before we move on?
2: No, that's it. We got plenty of content. Let's get to it.
0: Okay. So Israel is an issue. Um, the, the, the reason it's an issue is that we don't know why this event happened. Israel is one of the most heavily guarded places in the world. And it, it's very strange how a few terrorists, not a few, over a thousand approximately, were allowed to roam free in southern Israel while the IDF was placed elsewhere. Bill, we've got a short video that uh, we want to play on some reactions from former IDF soldiers.
2: Okay, here we go
3: of the Israeli Defense Force have come forth because they are extremely concerned about what is going on in Israel. They testify how the military in Israel is the most advanced high-tech army in the entire world. They also reveal how the borders between Israel and Gaza are the most heavily secured borders anywhere on earth. High-tech sensors alert the Israeli Defense Force from the moment that even a small animal approaches the borders. Yet hundreds of Hamas fighters were not only able to approach the border but they blew up the fences. They entered Israeli territory and started destroying homes and burning down villages and killing Israeli people without any semblance of defense by the Israeli military. Turns out that Shortly before this attack, the government had ordered the removal of all military presence from that area. Hamas was literally given a free pass to enter and start their operation. In the next videos, you will hear former members of the Israeli Defense Force explain that something very, very, very concerning is going on in Israel.
4: תקשיבו רגע, אני שירתתי כסמבצית חיר במלח
1: מלחמת סוק איתן, אני שירתתי בעוגדת עזה. כל השורות שלי היה תומכת לחימה בזמן מלחמת צוקיתן איתן שעזה הייתה, בעוגדת עזה. תקשיבו לי ותקשיבו לי טוב. אין מצב
0: בעולם שיכולה להיות כזותית התקרבות לגדר, אוקיי, מבליש אנחנו לא ידנו מזא? התצפיתניות יושבות בבונקים ארבע שעות הם לא יוכלו לעשות כאח. מול מסח, לא יוכלו להיות מצטב. שום מצטב שאיום ירימו תיבלייה על יונה, על
1: לגדר, על על, 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 על מתחת לגדר, איום מקפצים את כל הגזירה. איך ניחנסו ימ
4: Ish <laughs> lev. October seventh, twenty twenty three. This is Afrat Fenningson and I'm here to share an update from Israel Hamas war, which started this morning. Apparently Israeli defense forces that were supposed to be around Gaza were placed around the West Bank because of security concerns, so that the, the Gaza envelope was left unoccupied with military. They say around 60 to 80 percent of that area was left without the IDF forces that were supposed to be there. A year ago there was a military operation in Gaza to prepare for such events and ongoingly there are trainings for these kind of scenarios. This raises serious questions for me anyway about Israeli intelligence. What happened? Two years ago there were um, There was a successful deployment of underground barriers with sensors to alert exactly on these kind of terrorist breaches. Israel has one of the most advanced and high tech armies. How come there was zero response to the border and fence breaching? I cannot understand that. Personally, I served in the IDF 25 years ago in the intelligence forces. There's no way, in my view, that Israel did not know of what's coming. A cat moving alongside the fence is triggering all forces. So this? What happened to the strongest army in the world? How come border crossings were wide open? Something is very wrong here. Something is very strange. This chain of events is very unusual and not typical for the Israeli defense system. The current government is highly corrupt in my view, while the previous one was no better. I don't care about having a popular opinion. I care about exposing evil forces wherever and whomever they are. So to me, this surprise attack seems like a planned operation on all fronts. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I would say that this feels like the work of the deep state. It feels like the people of Israel and the people of Palestine have been sold once again to the higher powers that be. At the same time, this is still very, very difficult to fathom.
5: How come the strongest army, the strongest intelligence, the most sophisticated intelligence in the world, in Israel, makes it possible for few hundred Hamas fighters to enter Israel? and make all of this happen while in that area the Hamas fighters did not meet Israeli army over any defense or any protection or anything. As if the Israeli government was planning to offer the Hamas fighters this whole area on a silver plate, this, you know, is not logical. Israel has the most sophisticated intelligence, has a strong army, the strongest in the Middle East, and allow something like this. Okay, Bill so let's take that there down. is more okay.
0: So our point here is not against the Israeli people, I'm friends with many of them and have lots of good experiences in Israel myself, and uh, my point and our point is to highlight Something else is going on here, and it's not. Again, we see Zelensky in Ukraine, we see Biden in the U.S., and we see leadership in other countries like here not working for the people but possibly working for some other agenda. What do you think, Bill?
2: You know, I I stand back and I look at the pieces that don't fit. You know, you've got experienced uh, military operators noting things that don't make sense now they're not <clears throat> they're not proposing conclusions because there aren't any to be drawn yet but they're saying this just doesn't fit doesn't make sense and we've already seen that we saw the things earlier uh, last week that uh you and i brought on uh, the show that that showed um evidence around the hospital that it's supposedly been destroyed clearly that that didn't happen the way that it was originally described things didn't quite match um, and the and the reports coming out are varying, varying widely. Um, so there there are pictures even today of uh, internal uh, uh, police, I believe they are, or something like police uh, in Israel that seem not to be treating their own citizens very well. and so there's there's some very similar to
0: January sixth, or in Ottawa when they went after the truckers. Like, yeah, almost on, like they're not real police.
2: On, on, yes, very much so. But again, we we can't draw that conclusion. We're not in a position to to prove that. But the behavior doesn't fit. You know, why would they be? Why would they be pushing their own people around? Yeah. So as more of this stacks up, I think people need to keep eyes on and and uh, get a sense of you know at some point. You have to understand there's something else going on here. Um, yeah. and, the,
0: and the big thing that we are worried about is U.S. forces getting stuck into this area um, on purpose, essentially, yes. with a planned on-ramp to go You know, put U.S. forces in the region. I think at last count, there's uh, approximately 100,000 American uh, military personnel now in the region. And most people don't realize that. We've got two, maybe three carrier battle groups. That's tens of thousands each. And we've got Marines in the area. We've got, uh, you know, allegedly some new base that's being built in southern Israel for U- U.S. forces. So um, the the worry is that this is all an operation to get U.S. forces involved and to blow up the Middle East into another forever war and conflagration.
2: Right. And beyond beyond our own forces, there's, I believe, 50 um you know uh, battleship not not particular battleships but warships of of various uh, types in the area and as you get more and more forces concentrated in an area the opportunity for confusion unfortunately mistakes and other things becomes greater than it would have been if you didn't have that concentration of forces the other thing that i find interesting is they talk about um, putting peacekeepers in the area well Peacekeepers are often a, a misnomer for, you know, early troops and and uh, other things that uh, you know more about than I would. But well, for but, peacekeepers, peacekeepers has got to be peace, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to keep the peace. So I mean,
0: until I mean, we're a long ways from there being a situation where peace peacekeepers could go in and actually be effective. Otherwise, they're just going to be targets. Yeah. So.
2: Yep. So, so it continues to be a concerning uh, hour by hour, day by day. It almost feels like there's people are kind of almost leading up to something. There's, yeah. you know, grandiose statements being made by various uh, leaders and in, in not just here in the U.S., but around the world. And, you know, we're we're not going to we're not going to put up for this. We'll stand. We'll do every, anything needed. It sounds like kind of what we heard at the beginning of Ukraine. And, and that's the other thing. Um Where's the news from Ukraine? All of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it's kind of evaporated, um, gone into the background, and we're hearing very little. Why is that? We've heard nothing but Ukraine for going on a year and a half, two years, and all of a sudden, it's as if it's, you know, evaporated. So that's unusual, too. So obviously,
0: we're not saying that Israel doesn't have the right to defend itself. Hamas is a, a, a disturbing terror group that did some very evil things. But the question is, why were they allowed to do that? And what is the agenda? Um, So now uh, we're in it, they would say. So I sat down with Josh Klein um, recently. I'll click this bill. Uh, He's a advisor to Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, oops, got to get rid of that. Sorry. Uh, And he's also a uh, Breitbart journalist. Welcome back to information operation we have back with us Breitbart journalist and advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu, Joshua Klein. Thanks for coming on, Josh.
6: Thank you so much for having me. Great to be back.
0: So uh, I I asked you to come on to give kind of an update of what you're hearing. You're very involved in what's happening on the ground over there. So what can you tell us?
6: Um, Well, as you can see it's moved from a phase of um, the Israeli air force mainly doing, uh, the primary workload, I guess you would call it, the really heavily bombing, you know, Northern Gaza mm-hmm. or specific targets that are gleaned from special forces that are on the ground that are giving them intelligence. It's called, uh, painting the target. Uh, mm-hmm. you actually need somebody physically on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's like a laser being pointed at, you know, what should be, you know, taken out in the air force above it will, uh, take it out. So there's been the, uh, also, they're prepping the ground. Um, So when you see a lot of this destruction, it's not pointless destruction. I mean, unfortunately in war, there's tremendous destruction, Mm -hmm. but it's purposeful, it's all strategic um, from what I understand, Uh, you know, buildings that are being collapsed, being collapsed, you know, for specific reasons, to make sure there's no snipers that could hide on there to create new passageways, as opposed Mm -hmm. to using, you know, narrow roads. And now it's moved down to the second phase, a lot of people were expecting you know some huge announcement of 10 20 000 soldiers moving in at once uh Israel is being and they learned from 2008 and 2014 when they did go on the ground those which 2014 was the last time that they did uh be a lot more careful about how you utilize ground forces especially in the Gaza Strip which is the most densely populated um area with civilians on the literally the face of the planet uh, yeah So they've cut the Gaza Strip. I mean, ideally, that's what they're trying to do is cut the Gaza Strip, which is about 150 square miles in half. There's something called Wadi Gaza, which is a river that basically Mm -hmm. bisects it, I would say about at the midway point, um, about 75 square miles apiece. Um, You have tanks that moved in from the the north of Gaza, which would be the the southern part of Israel, and the northern part of Gaza from the northeastern part. In the northwest western part they moved in about two miles kind of established you know a security zone and then they also punched in from the east uh, also about two miles and they're doing this very methodically because this is like urban warfare in general is the most difficult very war. dangerous yeah. yeah so basically um what they're trying to accomplish is is to go very very slow um, and take out you know piece by piece and also you have to realize that there's literally two gazas that are going on here this is the upper gaza and then there's the lower gaza which actually is 300 miles they're claiming of tunnels mm-hmm. um, so you, you know they want to be very strategic making sure that they're taking out you know, tunnel shafts and they actually have something called um i forgot the name of the bomb but basically a, a smurf bomb they call them mm. i don't know if you ever heard of uh, no. that so smurf bomb is actually um it's used in first of all tunnel warfare is extraordinarily dangerous i won't get into all the aspects of it there's a specialized unit in israel called the album which is like very specialized they work in tunnel warfare only i mean you lose your orientation you know your sense of everything oxygen how to breathe in there how to navigate in there um so smurf bombs are actually something that they're deploying right now is it has liquid on both sides and cement and you literally pull this uh, metal out and basically mixes and you throw it and it turns into like concrete like huge if you want to shut off like a shaft of a tunnel it's like oh, a wow. bag you throw basically of like and then it turns into literally hard cement within a minute or two wow so um they're so they're
0: doing that to like close tunnels up or close entrances of that kind of stuff
6: yeah to close up entrances to make sure they're not going to be you know uh, attack from behind once they move forward so that's right. why it's slow operation and then the last thing I'll say is Israel believes and uh one of the a hostage was just released um, mm-hmm. yesterday they didn't specifically say from where but um generally I mean the two that Hamas released last week they released two older women who did say they were brought in, you know into a, a tunnel network they were you walking for you know hours on end mm-hmm. so physically most uh the hostages are believed to be um, within this tunnel network um and the main objectives of the mission in gaza is equally to get back as many hostages as possible and to uh completely destroy hamas as a physically and command control governance center where yeah he won't exist
0: so uh, there's, uh, there was a leak allegedly today of a plan to, uh, remove a lot of this population down into the Sinai. What, what do you want to say anything about that?
6: Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people will use these things like for, you know, larger ideas. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was a report that was written by, uh, an, literally a think tank originally, and it came actually to the intelligence agency, um, ministry, and it never actually was spoken about, um, from what I understand on the cabinet level, any higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, just a report of generally moving them into the Sinai and mm-hmm. the rest of the report, if you read the whole thing, actually, then would actually have to involve the Arab community, accepting them, building up you know, the area yeah. structure. So it's a report that's not realistic and, uh um, these are yeah. literally reports that, uh, Constantly being formulated to try and deal with the civilian population.
0: So, also, Egypt is making noises about moving armor up to the border. Um, what is Israel? I mean, what's going on there, do you think?
6: Um, so, Egypt's kind of interesting. I mean, I just did an interview uh, with, uh, it seems, uh, you know, Colonel uh, Kemp. Um, he was actually the head of. Um, all the forces in Afghanistan for the UK in 2003 to seven I believe um he's actually uh, in Israel and around the area um so I just bring that up because he believes that my uh, I asked him about you know the Gulf Arab countries in specific that have been putting out pretty harsh statements and not wanting to take in any Palestinians
4: mm-hmm.
6: and he said behind the scenes he believes that they are really secretly rooting for them which does make sense rooting for them to take out these jihadist threats. I yeah. Mean, Egypt it's danger through, to them, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Egypt had a huge, you know, jihadist Islamic state threat for many years, as we'll help them out with. So, actually, right now, what's going on, um, to answer your specific question, is um, interestingly enough, Egypt actually is limited. In, as a result of the peace treaty between Israel and uh, Egypt in 79 I believe uh, of how much military power and forces they can use in the Sinai which is very limited unless they have um, Israel's permission so they have moved in a couple tanks which mm-hmm. is within the uh, peace treaty agreement um and uh, yeah I mean America does there are five to 600 um, Americans that have citizenship that just Live in Gaza that are trying to get out. Um, this is really on Egypt's end they're not really letting mm-hmm. anyone out. although today there has been some indications of them now being uh, willing to you know take in uh, civilians that were wounded. Um, so it seems like they are mm-hmm. starting to open up a little bit and get a little bit more flexible. Um, but on the other hand, still staying pretty uh, alert to make sure
0: yeah,'re
6: not taking in uh, the wrong types of people.
0: What about Turkey? What did the Israeli government think of what Turkey's the, you know, the, 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 the thought the, the threats that Turkey's making, I guess.
6: Um, so Turkey is very, I mean, this is going back and forth with Israel for so long. I mean, yeah, I know that, you know, 2010, there was a huge dispute. Um, I won't get into all the details of how that happened. They pulled out their diplomatic personnel, mm-hmm. Turkey, which is also obviously a major is a NATO uh, member of NATO. Um, But Turkey um, kind of also has somewhat of an an expansionist vision of, you know, stays of uh, Ottoman Turkish empire, Erdogan specifically, there are elections coming up. So some of this might just be posturing on his behalf.
0: Yeah.
6: um, Israel has to take it serious. Um, They do have you know, a really serious military and they might be trying to angle themselves to be kind of the opposite of Iran, which Iran wants to claim to be the Shiite leaders of the Muslim world, uh, where Turkey would be the, uh, you know, wants to be seen kind of as the Sunni uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. axis of leading the Muslim world. So mm-hmm. I would say for now, and hopefully a lot of it is just uh, posturing for, you know, domestic political reasons. And um, mm-hmm. but we'll see uh, it's definitely being uh, focused on and watching where this is going to go.
0: So let's talk about Bibi. Um you know, he made some comments this week, then he retracted them on the responsibility for the uh, for the event, the terror event actually happening. Do you want to talk about that at all?
6: Sure. So this again goes back because it's funny. I was I was actually at a store the other week here, and I'm right now in the, in the Florida area, mm-hmm. um, and I was actually just picking up at a store, and I found myself uh, man, a huge pro. Uh, Palestinian rally which I find fascinating and I love to speak with these people and get their mm-hmm. opinions on um so um basically well oh, I'll just get to the, the BB aspect of it mm-hmm. uh, well actually it goes to that the, there is this there's a lot of conspiracies out there and again I always point to something called Occam's Razor
0: mm-hmm.
6: <laughs> in general if you don't understand uh, you know what's going on Occam's Razor is usually the simplest explanation both like 99.9% of the time happens to always be the correct explanation. Mm -hmm. There is this human need to always, you know, understand things, you know, feel that they're in control and make up, you know, things on the different levels. This isn't, again, to support or be against PB. in fact. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the, his whole legacy. He's a man that really, you know, really, again, cares about his legacy. Um, he just put out his autobiography, um, a few months ago this really was going to be the apex of his prime ministership hoping to again make peace with uh, Saudi Arabia before this mm-hmm. um so yeah he's uh, I think it's just emotional that um mm-hmm. it's not the, the smartest thing to do to, in the middle of a war you know criticize anyone the intelligence community the army while things are going on and he did apologize but it's uh just mm-hmm. very emotional with him that he's um, he is just having it yeah just the, it's a very difficult situation that this happened under his watch, and um, uh, he just wants to, I guess, emotionally, you know, make sure that people understand that he 100% did not, you know, have any indication of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was some intelligence, but it didn't make it to his desk. So a lot of it's just him being emotional about it, um, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I mean, right now he just has a manage trying i he, Focus, I think he understands that now completely. It's got to be solely on this and that only. Yeah. About you know, the day after what's gonna happen with him politically.
0: What about Iran? What are you hearing on you know obviously Iran is making a lot of threats. Um what is Israel's are are they focused on Iran
6: militarily? I mean, they would have to be, I guess. Um, I mean, Iran at the end of the day is the head of the snake here. I mean, our when we talk about all these groups Hamas and Gaza you know all these proxy groups, armies yeah it's all just yeah proxy they're just the tentacles of this uh, Iranian octopus of Terror um so first of all I mean there's stuff that's just overt they're very overt uh, they're saying you know by the Gaza we're going to open up new fronts we're going to utilize our proxies actually today there was a huge es- escalation in that regard and um with the the Houthis um, yes. in Yemen, that uh, five, this was the first time that they fired ballistic missiles that were intercepted by um, Israel, Has something called the Arrow 3, um, it's uh, anti-ballistic, uh, you know, uh, capabilities, um, mm-hmm. so they had to utilize that to shoot down ballistic missiles. That were being The Houthi shot.
0: army is another proxy army of Iran. Yeah, the Houthis
6: were created to stir up a whole issue there in uh, Yemen, and um, mm-hmm we won't get into all the history but long story short Mm -hmm. Yemen had a Sunni government there and Shiite so they created another proxy to want to have another country and another proxy so uh, Yemen's been you know pretty uh devastated and this has been going on for almost 20 years already I think yeah it's
0: been a brutal war a lot of people hurt yeah yeah
6: so um so I mean yeah I mean Israel really has to worry about. First of all, these proxies, I mean, there's so many of them all over the place from Yemen now, which who would have thought we were gonna be seeing the Houthis uh, sending in ballistic missiles. There's a That's lot a pretty
0: of... long range uh missile,
6: right? I yeah, mean... ballistic missiles are see I mean ballistic missiles can actually go outside of the atmosphere and come in come on the parabolic yeah. path. They use um, um you know, cruise missiles are you know, more on a straight line. Mm-hmm. They use mm-hmm. more of like jet engines um, mm-hmm. it's more it's like a rocket engine that comes in and uh mm-hmm. that's why they use something called the era three where it intercepts it you know even the atmosphere uh so it's a whole different ball game than you know just an iron dome that's you know knocking down uh you know small uh right but they are very devastating and um yeah I mean ultimately I mean I can't say but um we'll see uh what Israel what we'll do as far as Iran I mean Israel that is the ultimate you know enemy uh,
0: mm-hmm.
6: even if none of this happened, I mean, Iran really is getting close to uh, a nuclear, uh, having nuclear weapons. I mean, they're almost a nuclear threshold state. Um, it will probably take them a year or so to actually have the know-how to marriage, you know, marry that know-how onto a weapon that can be operational, but there's different threats that you can utilize it with. Um, and this has also been a very uh, big part of the uh, BB's uh, military. Uh, legacy and philosophy is to make sure that iran will be dealt with and never mm-hmm. uh, threaten israel and if saudi arabia, i mean it's it really is an important issue that doesn't get the attention that it should but um mm-hmm. if they were to get nuclear weapons saudi arabia was overt um, last month saying they will get nuclear weapons so besides nuclearizing the most you know dangerous area literally in the world um it would also give imagine this organization Hamas and all these proxies with a nuclear umbrella. I mean, that's all other ballgame dealing with a whole different Iran. Um, So I guess we'll wait to see what will happen, but that is something to keep your eye on. Um, Will Israel directly go against the, you know, Iran, try to set back their nuclear program and uh, it's a very complex issue and see how it plays out but um I mean, you know you are just dealing with the, the tentacles the the proxies that are you know the, quite the threat in and of itself um, an existential threat to the country
0: right last question there's rumors in the intercept is reporting that there's some secret us base down in southern Israel do you know anything about that or anything you can say about that
6: um I mean all I could say in general is um I mean it's I think it's pretty publicly known to our American I mean america has tremendous cooperation with the uh, idf and uh, mm-hmm. so does the police forces for example the ipd trains with uh, you know israel's anti-terror units um so i mean i'm not aware of any specific american bases that are just american bases in israel but um they definitely do have joint exercises and uh, public things i'm not i have to look at that specific report but okay. nothing that i'm aware of, of literally America I mean America does have storage sites um for Israel which actually Mm -hmm. is now being replenished um yeah it was being drawn down actually given to the Ukrainians like right 55 millimeter um you know artillery um, and things like that so um so a lot of these issues of what America has in Israel sometimes gets inflated with uh, I personally don't not aware of and never seen you know any military bases that uh, okay
5: um,
0: josh thanks how can people follow you
6: um yeah you can follow me on uh breitbart.com uh, i'm also on twitter joshua klein at, on twitter um just punch my name to google joshua klein breitbart or just my articles on breitbart uh, so yeah i you read them follow them. i try to do a lot of uh, important interviews with uh, Mm-hmm. Policymakers, makers investigative mm-hmm. work so yeah um it'd be, uh, amazing uh to have uh, more informed uh, readers
0: <laughs> and, and, gotcha uh, No, that's the whole goal is to get people educated so hey thanks for your time i know you're busy and uh want to have you back on as this thing develops i appreciate yeah. it yeah my pleasure looking forward all right take care
2: Okay, we're back. You're on uh, mute, Todd.
0: Uh, Lots of technical errors this evening. So um, we pride ourselves at CDM at being the tip of the spear on international news, as well as down at the local level in the U.S., and we bring people who really have the insight uh, that you won't find anywhere else, and I think that uh, Josh is one of those guys, he's definitely right up there is and and knows a lot about what's happening inside israel uh real quick i just want to mention the book i just released uh paying the price the inside story of the iranian resistance or the untold story this is a uh a book that is really informative you won't know the story the u.s government doesn't want you to know the story the iranians definitely don't want you to know the story the europeans have all been acting against this group which is the one group the mullah's fear you can find the book anywhere i'm going to be uh speaking laura logan is a big supporter of the resistance as well and i've been to events with her on this subject we're going to be doing an interview monday which we'll have next week with laura and i to discuss this exact issue so stay tuned we're going to bring you a lot more from israel and the conflict in the middle east uh which we always do at cdm and at the georgia record um Bill, uh, before we move into our next
2: phase, anything you want to say? Yeah. So I I had another one of these instances pop up as I was listening to Joshua. He talked about Iran acquiring nuclear capability. You know, how Mm -hmm. many years, as I think about it, has that been quote unquote weeks away, months Mm -hmm. away? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, here we are again. And what is it? Weeks away. Mm -hmm. And I sure hope that's not true. But even even if it were to be true, it just astounds me that uh, so many things keep being shoved into the narrative in the middle of this. And mm. is that productive or is that counterproductive? I'm not sure. But
0: good point. Good point. Notable. Yeah, we want to uh, put our filter on all of our guests and and digest and look at what they're saying and uh, try to make sense of it. So that that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I want to talk to the moms in Georgia right now. Uh, Feeding your family something healthy is extremely important. And we are big on food security and food, uh, not having a lot of processed foods, fresh foods, growing your own food, having food that's not vaccinated with gene altering substances, which could harm your family. And one of the guys that we've really partnered with is Glade Miller-Smith out in Nebraska at FamilyFarmBeefBox.com. He will ship you beef. I can vouch for its taste. I just had some tonight. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, My family loves it. They're always asking me, when's the next box coming? And the thing is, what we found is that, you know, sitting around the table as a family is very important, especially in this era where they're trying to destroy the family. So having uh, this ability to look into this box that comes, it's full of different cuts of beef, and teach your children about beef, about uh, the different cuts. And and I didn't know I didn't know anything about cuts of beef. Now I know a lot more after working with Glade. But uh, so familyfarmbeefbox.com, check it out and uh, feed your family with non-mRNA beef. He just released a new clip, and I want to hit this right now. No, cut. Can't stop. There you go. <laughs>
7: Whoops. We roll these back up.
0: So please support Glade Miller-Smith at FamilyFarmBeefBox.com. And Are you are you feeling good now, Bill?
2: I am. I am. I just, you know, every time every time Glade comes up with a new, uh, it doesn't even feel right to call them ads, you know? Yeah,
0: and, and that's his goal, is to kind of make the customer part of the whole experience. And uh, you can see it's a family operation and you're not supporting the matrix and the big industrial farms that uh, may not be giving you the best quality and may not have your best interests at heart. So Glade does definitely does., uh, with that, uh, what do we got next? We're gonna play the sect part two, I think.
2: I, I think I think we're gonna move to uh, Dr. Lindsay next. Go for it. All right, here we go
1: and they have to know how to be aware of their social standing in this racial hierarchy defined by crt how much privilege versus how much oppression they have maybe they have to be aware of how the various aspects of their identity race sex and so on intersect with one another so they can understand who they really are and once you understand that they control the language behind the thing that they're actually implementing and it sounds like yeah we do want kids to learn self-awareness that they're defining it to be something nobody in their right mind would be okay with letting another adult do to their children, then you realize how they've gotten around this. But these are the competencies that they're defining to make kids college and career ready, which means if you don't get the competencies, they won't let you go to college or get a job in any industry or any company that's compliant with the broader agenda. There's your ESG scores that you've probably heard about on the news. Environmental, social governance scoring from something to do with stocks, it sounds very complicated. Well, if you wanna have a good score, you're gonna put Dylan Mulvaney's face on a Bud Light can and you're not gonna hire people who have hate. You don't hire enemies of the people. They're not college and career ready without their competencies. Now here's the really sick part of this whole thing, without even having to go into what that actually means, which is that it's building a social credit system around your kids. The competencies become a de facto social credit system. They determine if you can go to college, where you can go to college, If you can go get this job or that job or no job, if you can go to the grocery store except on Tuesdays for a three hour window, whether you can buy something that week until your social credit score goes up by watching a propaganda video about Joe Biden. That's where that road leads. But the really sick part is that there's all this money out there which gets turned into implementing mental health initiatives and um, more social emotional learning initiatives under what's what's earmarked for at-risk kids right and we think about that well we have kids in bad homes that's at risk we want to help out the schools can help out we have kids who can't get enough to eat they're at risk you're hungry you can't learn we want to help out the school can step up free and reduced lunch breakfast whatever they've got that's what you think it's about Well, the state of Utah already redefined at risk as being at risk of not becoming college and career ready by failing to have all their social, emotional learning competencies. And every single kid in Utah is now at risk. So every single kid in Utah now qualifies for federal dollars to come in that's earmarked for at risk kids. And they get to implement programs that identify all the kids as at risk and do psychological interventions with the children in schools, which will eventually be regulated by the CDC, which I'm sure we're all very happy with, it's probably already happening here. Yeah, it's already happening in several states. I, unfortunately, as you probably are already well aware about, everybody who doesn't live in Connecticut, nobody knows what's going on in Connecticut, except that it's generally known as bad. <laughs> it's one of those real bad states up in the corner. So. They who control the words and what the credentials mean control everything. The ends of education get redirected toward the revolution. They get redirected toward dumping more and more dollars into brainwashing programs in the school because the social, emotional learning can sound great, can sound great all day long, but they control what it means. And every single one of those aspects, those competencies is judged through a lens of sustainability, inclusion, and equity. In other words, through woke terms. Every single one of the pieces of information they survey kids about is going to get fed into a system that says, A, look how depressed the kids are. We need more of this. There's so much trauma that, P.S., we caused, so we need more of this. And also, look how inequitable things are. Look at the disparities. We need more equity programs. We need more inclusion. We need more belonging. We need more woke, more woke, more woke. This is referred to in the, in the literature from Paulo Freire, the Brazilian Marxist who created, created uh, cr- uh, critical pedagogy. It is referred to as the Gnostic cycle. So for those of you who are religious enough to know what that means, you now know that we are literally dealing with demonic heresy behind all of this. It's a self-fulfilling circle, circular wheel that just keeps driving itself to get more of itself. It's a snake eating its own tail, which of course ends only in destruction, which is exactly what we see. It's driving children intentionally, as the queer education literature says, into crisis so that you can use the crisis in order to bring transformational change. I don't know what you all call that here in Connecticut, but where I call it, come from we call that child abuse that's what they're protesting to keep going because unfortunately not only are they ignorant they've got their fingers in their ears and they can't hear a word of what's actually happening in the communities around them that's what they're protesting but that's the that's the theft of the purpose of education it's been redirected toward something completely different it's been redirected toward building out the society they wish to see in the world around your children and plugging your children like pegs into the holes into that society as they build it And that's really the purpose of social and emotional learning, is to build the new economy of caring and sharing, aka communism of the future. That's a quote from Klaus Schwab, by the way. He says, we are going to move away from an economy of production and consumption and toward an economy of caring and sharing. Who's gonna define what you care about? Who's gonna define who you share with and who does the sharing, of course. But they also stole the very idea of education underneath, behind the purpose, the idea of education is that you actually educate people, to you give them skills, that you give them information, that you aid their emotional maturity, that you get them from basically a point of A to a point of B, childhood to adulthood, equipped to enter society and be successful. Marxists don't see things this way. Marxists genuinely believe, through a process that they call socialization, that everything that happens all the time, everywhere in society, including in your house, definitely in your church, Everywhere, always, including also in schools, is a brainwashing process, so why not theirs? If everything's brainwashing already anyway, we should brainwash for social justice because it's good. That's literally their logic. Everything is already brainwashing, so we should be justified in doing ours, which is dedicated to laudable goals. That's their logic. That's the manipulation. So what this looks like in practice actually, if we go back to Paulo Freire, is that he said that a true, the true literacy, he was talking about literacy particularly, the true literacy is not learning to read words, which he called disconnected syllables on pages, it's learning to read your political circumstance. The purpose of le- learning to read the politics behind the academic lesson, the reason that you do that, he said, is to foster what he called conscientization, which is a big long word that means awakening or woke, to conscientize, to raise somebody into what he called a critical consciousness, which was his new adaptation of, a, uh, of what Marx called class consciousness. A critical consciousness, he said, is a position where you understand what's wrong with the world as it is and you learn to denounce it in a way that announces other possibilities. You learn to read the word so that you can proclaim the world he said in his book, The Politics of Education. So the idea of education becomes about brainwashing. There's your social emotional learning programs. That's what it's actually about. It's about teaching people what another education lunatic called Alice Bailey is her name. She wrote this from her publishing house that she called the Lucifer Publishing Company in the 1930s, and she published a book called Education in the New Age, and she said that what the purpose of education in the future would be is to teach the science of right human relations. And she said that the science of right human relations would be infused into every single aspect of every single subject. Math would teach the science of right human relations, science, history, philosophy, everything would teach the science of right human relations. What we say today instead is that social emotional learning has to be in every single subject. We're going to teach math through a social and emotional learning lens, we're going to teach. Uh, science and history through social and emotional learning components. We're going to always keep those foregrounded so that we can I guess learn the science of right human relations. Now Alice Bailey inspired a cultist named Uh, an occultist, I should say, named John Fetzer. John Fetzer established an institute in his own name with $200 million of his own money called the Fetzer Institute, and social-emotional learning was created, as was Castle, the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning, was created at the Fetzer Institute in 1995 and 1994. So there you have that. Social-emotional learning might also be cult religion, but I digress. The point is actually that they've taken away the idea of educating people because they don't believe that education is anything other than brainwashing. So then it's always brainwashing. So let's make it about brainwashing for our thing. And the way that this happens is you have to undermine the mechanism of education. And this is where this is really going to click for you because it's been a little abstract. But I'm going to get it a little concrete. Well, Paulo Freire, this same Brazilian Marxist who created critical pedagogy, said is that the the way that you do this, the way that you you use the written word to learn to read the world to raise political literacy says the academic lesson or the literacy lesson is a mediator to political knowledge it is a mediator it's a means to an end so the point of the reading lesson the point of the math lesson or whatever is to create in his words a generative opportunity to have a conversation about the concrete realities of their lives culturally relevant teaching in other words which was created by a woman named Gloria Ladson-Billings, who credits in the papers in 1995 that she wrote when she created it that she got it from Paulo Freire. This isn't like some conspiracy; you just actually have to check for citations. It's right there in black and white. They're proud of it. And so, what the idea of mediator to knowledge is is that the academic lesson becomes an excuse to have a political conversation. It generates—that's the generative. It generates the need. For the teacher acting as a facilitator to converse with the students about political realities through the desired conscientizing, awakening, aka woke lens. That's the whole system. What this does in practice is imagine that you got like a big present at Christmas, right? And it's in a nice wrapped up box and the presents inside. The present is your kid's education. What they did is it's like they cut open the bottom of the box with a knife, reached in, took out education, put in brainwashing and indoctrination, kind of taped over the, the, the slit they cut in the bottom. So from the outside, it looks exactly the same. Because if they just started doing Marxist indoctrination in the school, say in 1975, the very kind of awake People at the time, very anti communist Americans at the time, would have rejected it completely. They had to sneak in, as they say, through the back door. And the way that they did this was by letting the academic lesson become a mediator to political knowledge. That became the standard method of educating or teaching educators in the United States and Canada by 1992, which was over 30 years ago now. Here's what it looks like in practice. This is a I'll give you two examples. I'll give you, they're both real examples.
0: So I forgot to say that's part two of James Lindsay's speech. We're going to run part three next Wednesday, but I just yeah. felt like I, I emceed that event in Connecticut and I just felt like it was extremely important to get out to people.
2: He's got a, gr- a bunch of great content and it fits in so well with uh, all the things we're hearing from the education community and their concerns and the, in the parents, especially. Yes. So, um, I think, you know, maybe, maybe as we, after we air part three, perhaps this weekend or, or whenever we do that, we'll put them back together and make that a special and put that up so that folks can see it in its great uh, idea. entirety.
0: Great idea. And we'll probably have James on down the road on the program as well. That's great. So Bill, you've got some things you want to talk about tonight.
2: Sure. So uh, there's about three things that I'd like to bring up. One is, um, a, a continued concern with some of these weird dynamics around the Georgia GOP uh, here in our state. And then um, you know that, that, that kind of uh, dovetails into some stuff we see going on at the national level. But let's, let's talk about Georgia. So um, in the last couple of weeks, um, Josh McCoon had announced, uh, he was chairman of the Georgia GOP, had announced a, a key partnership with a company called Numenar. And uh, just after that announcement came out uh, and within it, he said uh, he had made the statement that we're going to use these guys for uh, all voter outreach and data efforts. So essentially, it sounds to me like that means they would have access to all data with regard to all potential voters that the GOP may wish to touch here in Georgia. So we began receiving emails saying, hey, have you looked at these guys? There's some stuff that doesn't really look quite right. And so we went up to uh, the uh, state of Virginia website and began our our review there. And sure enough, we found very quickly a couple of, a couple of concerning signals. So this is uh, the Secretary of State's website where all corporations need to register. And for Numenar, they are listed as pending inactive and their annual registration fees and maybe some other uh, costs were unpaid and the annual reports passed due and they were quote unquote not in good standing. That's concerning enough, (laughs) I would think. Um, And we began wondering, you know, did did, uh, the GOP and Josh and his team take a really good look at these guys? So um, given a couple other uh, signals from folks, we began looking at, well, where is this company? And they list uh, a particular address on their uh, their website, Numenar's website. And so we looked that up. And when you bring up that address, normally you would bring up the names of the companies that are there. We couldn't find Numenar listed as a company that was at that location, albeit um, a number of other companies are listed there. And one of which is WeWork and WeWork for folks that don't know is a sort of a hoteling office kind of thing where you can you know, be a member of it and go in and use space when you need to, but you don't necessarily have a, a fixed office there. So uh, at that point we, we sent an email to Numenar asking these questions. Um, we looked at some of their staff, some of their staff didn't even list Numenar as an employer Um, there's, it looks like there's maybe eight or nine people in the company, according to their website. So you would think that they'd be pretty responsive. You know, there's not that many people you have to wind your way through to get an answer that was last week. And as of uh, today, we still don't have a response from them. So that was interesting and and somewhat concerning.
0: So tell me what Numenar does. What, what is the point here?
2: We we don't we don't know everything they do, but on a call that uh, we were invited to, they demoed an app which allows people to walk along through neighborhoods, and uh, learn something about the people in each of the houses before they go knock on a door, and then make notes about their interaction with the people at that address if they if they in fact answer the door. Um, the other things they do, we don't know because they didn't show us that. But it seems. Largely to be around an app that you would use on your phone, um, so we were invited to a uh, call regarding uh, the launch of Numenar. So we attended that, and during the course of the call, um, one of the uh, one of the folks that had been invited uh, spoke up and said, "Hey, I have a I have a question, and wanted to ask uh, another member of the executive committee." Um, what their impressions were of the application, just trying to get kind of a, you know, beyond the employee that's telling us all these great things about the app, what was our experience when we reviewed it? So she asked the second in command in the uh, Georgia GOP, Brian K. Pritchard, to share his experience and impressions after having reviewed the app. Brian spoke up, answered, uh, answered the woman's question by saying, He had never seen the app and had never been invited to review it. And in fact, had not been invited to the call itself that we were on at that moment. So that seemed to be quite odd. Here's the second in command for the Georgia GOP. It wasn't included in looking at a key app that's going to be used for, you know, all voter outreach efforts and data efforts. Um, In the call, we asked uh, the representative of Numenar, you know, how many voters is this going to cover? And essentially, it, it sounds as if it's going to be just about everybody they have access to in the state, both Democrats and Republicans. And um, they, uh, they confirmed that it would be available, they believe, in all counties based on whatever data they get from both the GOP here and RNC. So, Here's the call. This, this kind of what, what I guess was a, a direct question was asked of Brian K. Pritchard. And then a couple of days later, they release a transcript And I'm sorry, not a transcript, a recording of the call. Lo and behold, the question that was posed to Mr. Pritchard had been excised from the recording. So in other words, apparently they didn't like it. <laughs> and so they cut it out. And, uh, so when you listen to the call now in the recording, you don't hear that question. So we thought we would include that question for our audience tonight so they could hear what the number two person in the Georgia GOP thought of this application. Now, it's going to be a black screen because we we have audio recording only, but uh, that's the uh, that's the nature of what we're able to do. So let's play that.
4: Regarding
1: timeline on access, I'll actually defer to Jeremy on on when they want to get that up and running. I think today was sort of a, a soft launch to kind of get you guys excited and familiar with the technology.
6: Yeah, I don't know that we have an exact date, but it's very soon.
4: Thanks There's very
2: a little pause time. here as she moves to from to one caller to another. question.
1: Heather, feel free to, to jump in. I don't know if you're still on mute or not, but if you have a question. All right. Hello.
8: Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Hi. Hey, this, this, hey. I'm I'm actually mobile, so I can't raise my hand. That's um, okay. But when when you can, call on me. This is Stacy writings.
1: Well, why don't you go ahead, Stacy? Since you're you're already off mute and.
8: Um, oh, thank who, thank you thank you very much Stacy writings i'm president of republican women in Forsyth county um, and just want to say thank you kate for um, this great tutorial everything sounds great i'm not able to view it but will be as soon as i i'm able to my question is a little bit different um i'm i'm a little behind on um i was not able to of course be one of the ones to view it beforehand but, but i would like. I would like to pose a question to one of the executive board members. I don't know if he's on. Is Brian Pritchard on? Can you tell?
1: Yes, I'm. I'm on.
8: Oh, okay. I can't see. Hey, Brian. I, I'd like to ask your opinion on. Did you review the app and were you pleased with it?
1: Well, Stacy, I appreciate it. first of all, Kate. I'm the first vice chair of the Georgia Republican Party, and this is an amazing presentation. And to answer your question, Stacy, no, um, uh, m- much like most of the things that the Georgia GOP, I'm not involved in. So this is the first time I've uh, I got an announcement about this, but this is the first time I've been involved in any of this. I wasn't even invited to today's. Ooh presentation. I, I got this to a third party. So I know nothing about the app other than it's it looks amazing. But no, I, I cannot answer any questions on the app. And I did not review it. It was oh not. My a God.
8: I had no idea. I didn't even know if you were on or not. But uh, all right. Can anybody else speak? Kate? Is Sally is on?
1: Is yeah, on? Think, um, if you don't mind this, this may be a good conversation. Um, for Jeremy perhaps at an, at another, another time, that way we can get through the questions that people have about, about the app, but definitely happy for you guys to, to connect further on that. I don't know if the, the chairman has anything
8: to. Yeah, that as well. Absolutely. I did present-
2: So I'll cut it off at that point, but um, every, everything about that spells, Hey, that's a question we really don't want to hear. So let's move on. And, well, the so, fact,
0: I mean, and people should know we invited Josh to come on the show and got no response, have. correct?
2: This
7: we has have. Been like we the have. third
0: we or fourth time we've invited him on and no right. response. Right. So he won't come on the show. He did not provide the docs to you on the Georgia GOP issue, which he
2: said he would do. Right. And uh, the Georgia GOP issue, just for a reminder, is there seems to be these two organizations, the party and a corporation. And they they're different legally, and yet they seem to be being used interchangeably, which many would say I believe shouldn't be done. And yet they won't answer questions about it, and they won't provide docs that even show that the party still exists. So, so you specifically
0: so, asked him in person recently. Will you I, provide me the docs that the Georgia GOP still exists? I I saw him during the, the
2: yeah. I saw him during the uh, Gwinnett. Um, Uh, question and answer session town hall sort of setting uh, last month and then followed up uh, with, and asked him at that meeting face to face, I said, you know, let's solve this. Let's, you know, help me please get these party documents so we can show the thing exists and it'll help people get calmed down again. Let's get this thing off the table. What's making people very concerned is there have been folks that have been using open records requests for months and they can't get any of the docs that show the party still is even here. Why not? Should be simple. They have to be filed, right?
0: And the archives and, didn't have it either, or the Georgia, Georgia Secretary of State.
2: Yeah. Right. And, and finally, after some minutes of conversation, I said, will you help me get these? And the answer was, yeah, I'll help you get them. And then uh, I think it was the next day, I said, can you please start getting them to me? I'd like them by tomorrow, Friday. Um, and, and I want I want to bring them on. You're welcome to deliver them to me on air just to be comfortable that I'll actually acknowledge that you gave them to me. And ever since then it's been dark. That's concerning me and I'm I'm, I'm kind of done playing games with it, very frankly. There's something there that seems amiss and I don't know why we're not getting the docs. Well, um, what what
0: you just described with this tape and editing out the tape, I mean that's dishonorable behavior. I mean you're essentially lying by omission to the people of Georgia by removing information that you don't want them to hear. I mean, that's just dishonorable behavior at the very least. So why is this guy still ahead of the GOP?
2: I don't know. I mean, you'd think in this day and age, given everything we're going through right now, being transparent and truthful with folks would be the number one criteria for a key leader. And that's what he campaigned on, right? Isn't it? I I was just, I was just going to make that comment. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. I believe that's one of, one of the key things he campaigned on. So, Getting past that, it opens other now concerns. If, in fact, there's something different about this structure, and now we see elsewhere in the country, others standing in Trump's way, um, states taking steps to actually uh, keep him off ballots or organizations taking steps in various states to keep him off ballots. Does any of this, regardless of whether it's intentional or whether it's a mistake, we don't know that at this stage, but does any of it create risk that could potentially stand in Trump's way of being on the ballot? I mean, if you look at polls today, I just happened to, while we were, while we've been on the show, Quinnipiac brought out another poll today, and in the Republican race, Trump is showing up 49 over The next next closest is DeSantis at 15. And, you know, then they taper off below that. But 49 points ahead. And yet we don't hear a lot of people from legislature, from um, GOP, uh, executive leadership, other than a few, very few talking about, wow, this is great. He's going to he's going to be a powerful candidate. We don't hear that. My question is, why? So we, we
0: should throw the unity thing back on. It's time to unify behind Trump. <laughs> well, know, I'll tell that you out what for a long time. It's time to unify behind the candidate with the most butt support.
2: I think that's true, and I think it's happening. But I think it's happening at the grassroots level. It may not be happening in all levels. So per- perhaps. But again, we we're as we sit here tonight, we're welcome to. Uh, we, we want to have folks come and talk about these issues, let's get them on here. Josh has still got an open invitation to come join us and talk about these things, so uh, I would encourage him to do so. Um, I did want to show a a quick video that Trump posted in the last couple days because this is is a key issue. If they're successful keeping him off certain ballots uh, in certain states, that could have an impact that's um, uh, poor. (laughs) <laughs> to say the least. Let's let's just take a quick look at that.
7: taking place to try and illegally remove my name from the ballot. I often say that 2024 will be the most important election in the history of our country. The reason for that, and that statement, is that our country is being destroyed by people who have no idea what they're doing, or even worse, they may very well have an idea. They may hate our country, and they may want to see it destroyed. But it may also be the last election we ever have. If this election doesn't work, if this election is rigged and stolen, if bad things happen, our country will not survive. If Crooked Joe and the Democrats get away with removing my name from the ballot, then there will never be a free election in America again. We will have become a dictatorship where your president is chosen for you. You will no longer have a vote or certainly won't have a meaningful vote and you could say frankly that that has already begun this truly is our final chance to save america and with the 2024 election now less than one year away this is your chance to take a stand against tyrants that support the one and only movement that can save our country and make america great again we must win in 2024 if we don't win we will not have a country. If we do win, we will make America greater than it's ever been before. Thank you.
2: So, I've never found myself thinking that President Trump was one to sound the uh, sound the alarm unnecessarily, and so that to me is a statement that says this is a time to act and act decisively. So. Yes. I thought thought it was good to show that. And then, um, uh, as we've spoken in the last uh, two shows, True the Vote and their uh, court case uh, with uh, Fair Fight continues. Um, They are uh, four days in now. And uh, we'll go through, uh, they'll meet again uh, tomorrow and uh, Friday, I believe. And um, somebody had asked, uh, I think in the last show, what is it that... uh, fair fight is asking for in this. And in part, I, I went and reread the case filing. And one of the things they're asking would basically um, ask the court to order through the vote, not to do most of the things they have been doing for many years to try to help um, create an opportunity for accuracy and um, uh, verifiability for um, our elections. And so they would you know, they'll have, I'm sure they'll go after money and other things and attorney's fees and everything else. Just, just getting this point has been super expensive for truth About, but they're trying to keep them from being able to do what they do. And I believe that that's in part to scare the rest of us from doing what we do. And uh, of course. so the, of course. the many dozens of people, hundreds of people all across Georgia working for this. Um, I know that they can't, um, ignore what fair fight and, uh, a lot the Elias firm and so forth are doing, uh, to harm, uh, true, the vote and, uh, and Catherine Engelbrecht and that their initiative. And I believe it's there to intimidate us. So once again, I would ask uh, folks to consider helping them. Um, this has been a seven figure fight for them so far, just to get to this point. And every day that goes by, it's getting just deeper. Um, and uh, they've been they've been at this fight longer than the rest of us. So uh, you can scan that code. You can go to uh, uh, uh forward slash donate. Just go to tru- truthabout.org and look up at the upper right hand corner, and you'll find the donate button. But if you uh, if you have the means, uh, I would encourage folks to help the effort, uh, and and also say a prayer that uh, they receive all the help. Uh, necessary to uh, win this fight against fair fight. So,
0: okay. Been a long show, but we put out a lot of information as we always do. We'll be back Sunday at 2 PM. I can tell you we're going to have uh, some strong guests as you're used to on the Georgia twenty-two twenty-four show. So we'll see you next week.